welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and if my strength levels are any indication, I don't have a hateful bone in my body. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and this podcast is going to be so big that we're going to need an intermission. And today we'll be breaking down the 1959 biblical epic Ben-Hur. Dean, hello. Hello. How <laughs> you been, buddy? Good to see you. Yeah, it's, it's, only been a on? couple, it's only been a couple of days this time. It has been a couple of days. Yeah, how are you this week so far? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, yep, nothing exciting. What about you? Oh, I thought it was quite exciting this week. Well, yes, we did We did uh, catch up and see a movie. Yep, a, a big movie that we, we uh, teased last week. We did go and see Avengers Infinity War a couple of days ago. Yes, we did. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on the podcast, but it was also my birthday this week as well, turning the big 3-1. Of course, the big 3-1. Yeah, it actually really wasn't anything special. We didn't really yeah. do much at all. You don't do much on 31s and all those sort of weird numbers. Is 35 an event? No. No, we'll make it an event, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make 31 and a half an 31 event. 31 and a half would be a good one. Uh, no, it was, it was an interesting birthday. We you know, went out for lunch with the family, had uh, both sides of our respectful family come down and have a couple of beers with the old man and the father-in-law, stuff like that. Nothing too crash hot. Um, I also, <laughs> for the first time ever, I got my first speeding fine this week. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a very safe driver, I guess. This is the first time I, I lost a demerit point a couple of years ago when I didn't have my seatbelt on and I was pulling out of my, my house and the cop car was going past. I'm like, well, no seatbelt, you're done. Ouch. Yeah, but this time, no, first speeding fine ever. I was, How fast were you going? I was going 88 in an 80 zone. Was it 88 and then they docked three yeah. off? Yeah, so I was down to 85. Okay. So they slapped me with a $200 fine, which is a... Uh, Did you get pulled over? No, no, it was a speedo. Okay. So incredibly frustrating and I knew where it was. I knew when it happened to Stan in Hastings and... Kira's like, there's a speedo there. And I looked and I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I think I might have got fucked there. Oh, no. Yeah, so I came in the mail during the week. And uh, yeah, not pleased. Well, lucky. I think I've only ever had one and it was within like a few months of getting my license. And <laughs> since since then, I've been good. So yeah, no. Sucks. It's awesome. so expensive. I do have to thank you, though, for your presence That's that okay. you, you gave me here. You, you are a... My presence is normally well received. <laughs> your birthday <laughs> presence to me. You are a pop fanatic. For anyone who doesn't know what pops out there, they're these little dolls. These little dolls. Dean collects dolls. (laughs) (laughs) They're collectible action figures. (laughs) No, you did uh, give me my first three pops here that we've got displayed in the studio here. You've got me a James Bond pop from Goldfinger. That's a really nice one for me since I am a Bond aficionado. You've also got a Vito Corleone pop here from The Godfather. Sitting there or standing there with his cat having a stroke. (laughs) <laughs> and you've also got uh, a pop here of Alex Delage from A Clockwork Orange yes. without a uh, mask, as the back says. That's the option you can get as well. <laughs> no, no three, I- three iconic uh, characters from movies I thought might spice up the uh, studio a bit. Yeah. Thanks, so thank you very much for that, Dean. I appreciate it. You're welcome. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, Welcome. Glad to have you on this journey with us. Please make sure you subscribe to us to get automatic and instant notifications of when new episodes are up. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, most other podcast apps, as well as our host site, Spreaker. So thanks to them for that. Yes, thank you very much for that, Spreaker. And to all the listeners, new and old out there, we'd love for you to help spread the word about our podcast here. Maybe chat with your movie-loving friends. Uh, perhaps drop in the middle of a conversation that this podcast is endorsed by the Romans and the Jews. They don't really uh, get together on a lot of things, but they do for this podcast. <laughs> 
Maybe if you're so generous to leave a five-star rating or review on iTunes for us to help us move up the charts and get even more people to notice us, that'd be great. Like we said last week, once we get up to 50 reviews for the podcast, we'll draw a review at random and the person who did that review will get to choose the next film off the top 250 for us to review that week. So get out there and give us a, a nice review. This week, we've got five new reviews. Uh, we'll get started with this review from the Movie Mayhem podcast at Movie Mayhem Pod. I just started listening to these guys through hashtag pod and family, and I'm so happy I did. I love the idea of going through the IMDb top list, which has so many different movies. So many different style episodes are on the way, and I'm excited. Can't wait. Thank you very much. Thanks for that, guys. We've also got one here from the Two Dads Review podcast at Two Dads Review. The premise behind the podcast has guaranteed that I add it to my rotation. Take the top 250 on IMDb, two awesome dudes from Australia, and an hour, and you have a great recap and review show of some all-time great movies. Worth a listen. Check it out. You will love it. Thanks for that, two dads. Uh, next one from Dial M for Movie Podcast at Dial M for Movie. This podcast is great if you're a movie buff or a recreational viewer. They break down the best movies of all time, so there is never a boring topic. Their commentary is insightful, informative, and at times hilarious at all times. The two have great chemistry, and there is never a dull moment. Highly recommended. Thanks for that, guys. Yes, thank you very much. We also have one here from Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. They're another excellent Australian podcast out there, so give them a listen too. Daniel and Dean have come up with a great spin on a movie review podcast and back it up with some quality film knowledge and excellent banter. It's like two mates speaking knowledgeably about films. Give it a shot and you'll be hitting the subscribe button fast. Thanks for that, Paul. Thanks, Paul. And our last one is from Five Easy Pieces Pod at Five Easy Pieces. This podcast is a must for film fans. Daniel and Dean are fantastic hosts with great chemistry. You can really get a sense of what good friends they are, which makes for great content. Great discussion, hilarious comments, and great clips incorporated from each film discussed. A definite must for cinephiles. Thank you very much. And if you want to interact with us throughout the week too, we're on Twitter at IMDB Journey. I do respond to everything sent our way, and it is a great way to keep up to date with us as we regularly tweet what else we've been watching throughout the week. So you can leave your thoughts there too, and we'll read them out in the podcast as well. I'd also like to give a shout-out to a couple other podcasts that have given us a shout-out on their podcast. One of them is from Melissa at the Brook Reading Podcast. She gave us a shout-out on her latest episode. So thanks for that, Melissa. I do have a chat with her every once in a while on Twitter. It's, it's quite nice. We also have one from the Mixed Media Force Podcast as well and the After Hours Podcast as well. So thank you to all three of you for giving us a shout-out. And as well to the other podcasts who have spun our promo out there, to the Epic Film Guys, the Movie Pass Podcast, and of course the Dial In for Movie Podcast as well. So thanks to everyone along the way who has given us a shout out, who's helped us get our name out there. We really, really appreciate it. So as always, this section is now going into the spoiler-filled section of the podcast. So if you haven't seen Ben-Hur and you don't want to get spoiled, please steer clear because we are going full spoilers from the jump. Or if you like, you can check the show notes and see what time the Ben-Hur review finishes and see what else we've been watching this week. In particular, this week, we have a bit of a discussion on Infinity War lined up. So look out for that. Yeah, and you don't want to miss out on the movie quiz we've got coming up and, of course, next week's movie draft and the results from this week's movie draft as well. Of course. Okay, so we're going to come back after this break and a promo from the Epic Film Guys and we'll be ready for Ben-Hur. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin. We are the Epic Film Guys, and we'd like just a moment of your time to talk about an extremely important event coming up this May. 
Last year, we hosted the live stream for The Cure, a 12-hour live stream fundraiser where we raised $2,500 for the Cancer Research Institute. 86 cents out of every dollar raised goes to research toward finding a cure. And this year, we're aiming to smash that goal, and we need your help to do it. Join us from May 18th through the 20th for 30 hours of amazing live stream content from us and a whole host of amazing podcasters who will be joining us to try to reach $5,000. For more information, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. Judah, let me explain something to you. The Emperor is watching us. My great opportunity, Judah, and yours too. So, Ben Hur released in 2016. Oh, no, sorry, no, not that one. We're oh, not th- sorry, we did the 2010 one, didn't we? Was there a 2010 one? Yes, and there also was a very memorable TV series in 2010. Yes, okay, but we're not going to be talking about any of those. We're talking about the 1959 version starring Charlton Heston, Jack Hawkins, Haya Harareet, and Stephen Boyd, directed by William Wyler. So, this production cost... Was large. MGM, a massive $15 million at the time. It was a gamble by the studio to save itself from bankruptcy. And obviously the gamble paid off because the film earned $196 million worldwide. And adjust that for inflation, it comes to $1.4 billion and makes it the 13th highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And you think about... Obviously, how how much different cinema was back then and how much... I was talking with um, my mother, actually, during the week about this film, and she said that back then, you when you when you watch a film, it's an event, and this film would have been an enormous event. Oh, this would event. have been humongous. Like, yeah, this isn't just ducking down the street to see a movie. This is a serious uh, commitment. And so. if you think about how movies were made back then, I kind of... You get an idea of it from the unfortunately bad Coen Brothers film Hail Caesar, where there's a lot of uh, showing of how films were made production-wise back in the 50s and that. So you ever want a scale of how movies like this would be made compared to now, that's a good uh, take to have a look at. Are you recommending a movie that you just called Unfortunately Bad? Watch the trailer. You'll get an idea of it there. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> So, this film, going along the theme of Academy Awards for the last couple of weeks here, it won 11 Academy Awards that year. It nominated w- for 12. Yes. Was it 12 or 13? It was nominated for 12. The only one it didn't win was for Best Screenplay. Ah, uh, okay. But it did win Best Music. Back then, it was for music scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture, so there must have been a... There was a musical-only um, uh, section okay. as well. Oh, fair enough. And looking, actually, looking at the categories from back then, they're very different. Like, a lot of categories are actually broken up into, like, best cinematography, colour. Yeah. Best cinematography, black and white. Mm. So, you're actually splitting the field a lot um, with that. Yeah, and that's how it would have been back then. And actually, of the three Academy Awards that Mikolos Rosa won for his contribution for music, he cherished the one he won for this film the most because of the score's size, the complexity, the intricacies, the emotional content, 
and it's being a distillation of his more than 20 years experience scoring films. So good on him for winning three of those. It also won Best Effects in the Special Effects category. And it's also the only Best Picture winner to ever yes. win the Best Special Effects yeah, so uh, Oscar as well. What does that say about the films like that come out now? Like, when, do you, are you, when do you think we're going to see a film win well, Best Picture that I, has special effects? Yeah, we actually had something quite recently in 2009 with Avatar, which won the special effects, obviously, but narrowly missed out to The Hurt Locker in Best Picture. Yeah, I don't think it was narrowly. I don't think Avatar was going to win that. But anyway, it also won Best Film Editing. It won Best Sound, Best Costume Design, Colour, Best Art Direction or Set Decoration in Colour, Best Cinematography, Colour, like you said. It won Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Hugh Griffith, <laughs> who I had to look up who he was. It was actually Sheik Ilderum. I, I, was, I was shocked. Yeah. I was watching this movie and I saw that it had won Best Supporting Actor, and I'm just thinking, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Marcella, um, Stephen Boyd, he's yep. been fantastic. I looked it up, I'm like, who is this name? Then I think, oh, maybe it's Arius. Uh, nah, it's this sheik who yeah. owns the horses. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. But it also won Best Actor in a Leading Role for Charlton Heston, and at two hours, one minute, and 23 seconds, Charlton Heston's performance here is the longest to ever win an Academy Award for Best Actor and the second longest to win in any category. Do you know what the shortest screen time for a Best Actor for winner is? For Best Actor? Mm, she's, is it a film that I would know quite quickly? Yes. All right. Well, then let me... Uh, I'm just... I'm just going to take us. Oh, geez, did he even win? I can't even think. Colin Firth for King's Speech. Did he even win that year? No, he didn't. Yes. Oh, he did. Yeah, he won. Yeah. He won. He but won. It obviously wasn't him. You had to, you took a while to think about it. No, no, no. Who no. was it? It was Anthony Hopkins oh, for playing Hannibal Lecter. Of Lecta. course. Oh, I fucking knew that. And I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And it also won Best Director as well for William Wyler. And he actually won that award three different times. Three different times. Three different times Best Director. He won it for The Best Years of Our Lives and Miss Maniva. He was also nominated another nine times for Best Director. What? On top of the three he won. Wow. Yeah. So he had had an impressive resume back then. Is I mean, put you on the spot here. Is that the most that anyone's been nominated for directing? I'd have to think so. Okay, so I've just done a quick little check, and yes, William Wyler is indeed the uh, the highest nominated director for Best Director. Not the highest winner, though. No, the highest winner actually goes to your friend and mine, John Ford. John Ford. Who obviously directed George. such classic films in the years 1935, 1940, 41 and 52. Why are you laughing? <laughs> uh, 1935, would it? it was probably the only uh, movie made that year. Um, no, <laughs> no, but um, Martin Scorsese has been nominated eight times along with Billy Wilder. But uh, yeah, elite director. Yes. And of course, for the third week in a row, this film won Best Picture for the year. That's pretty incredible. Three in a row. It's good. And this is the first of three films to have won 11 Academy Awards, including the Best Picture Oscar. The second was Titanic. And the third was The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Of course. Several of the categories won by Titanic and The Lord of the Rings Return of the King didn't even exist in Ben-Hur's day. So the fact that it won 11 of those awards back then makes it even more impressive. And it was also the first film to ever win at least 10, which would make sense. From- which is a, yeah, which is a bit of a stupid fact, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It's also, actually, I found another fact in my um, deep reading. It's also the first film to win 11. <laughs> <laughs> So, producer Sam Zimbalist actually offered William Wyler $1 million to direct this film, which was the highest director's fee ever paid up at that time. That's that's insanely large. It is. $1 million. Is $1 million that included in their budget? 
That's a huge cost. One million dollars. Jesus. I think it's because he just come off a couple of Best Director nominations and wins. Mm, it's crazy. I thought you were going to say the producer was offed. <laughs> She's Dean. What? Well, because I said the producer was offered. Well, I'm, um, sad <laughs> did you, news. Did you mind in a different Sad spot? news. This producer actually died whilst filming was taking place. Yes, I know. But it There's didn't nothing get to laugh about. Didn't get offed. Well, in a, in a way, you know, the heart, the heart did its job. Or failed to do its job. It's not right, funny, Hendo. We're going to move on from this. This film was originally intended to be made in 1956 with Marlon Brando in the lead role. Mm. Which would have made for an, a, an interesting film as well. And Kirk Douglas... You, hold on. What do you mean as well? I th- oh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, but Kirk Douglas was offered the role of Masala, but turned it down because he didn't want to play a second-rate baddie. Yeah, like the ego on this guy. So he, he goes ahead and makes Spartacus a year later. Yep, just because he wanted to compete against it. He thought he yeah, could make a better movie. That's crazy. I mean, it probably is a better movie, but... I don't know, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. Do you know that there were 300 sets built over the course of five years of research and 14 months of labour for this film? Yeah, just a, a massive, massive scale, this film. Keep talking about massive scale. William Wyler kept up a 16 hours a day, six days a week schedule for the nine months it took to shoot. Well, I guess uh, earning his fee quite comfortably then. Yeah, exactly. And in June 2008, this film was ranked number two on the American Film Institute's list of the 10 greatest films in the epic genre. Do you know what number one was? Yes, I do. As you scroll through your phone. <laughs> Google, what was the number one film? Shall we get the Jeopardy music going? So it's Lawrence of Arabia. That's right, it's Lawrence of Arabia. Is that in the top 250? It is in the top 250, Dean. Well, there you go. Look forward to that one. I'm glad that there's a film better than Ben-Hur left in this uh, top 250 list. Interestingly enough, number three, Schindler's List. Not quite not quite as epic as Ben-Hur. And with an average of 8.1 over 189,000 Number five ratings. is Spartacus. So he came close. Ben Hur is sitting at number 197 on the list. Uh, you're up for the synopsis this week. What do you got? When Prince Judah Ben Hur hears that his childhood friend Masala has been named to command the Roman garrison of Jerusalem, he's thrilled. He soon finds, however, that his friend has changed and has become an arrogant conqueror, full of the grandeur of Rome. When Judah refuses to divulge the names of Jews who oppose Roman rule, Masala decides to make an example of him and sends him off as a galley slave. Through fate and good fortune, Judah survives the galleys and manages to return to Jerusalem in the hopes of finding his mother and sister, who were also imprisoned, and to seek revenge against his one-time friend. And Jesus pops his head in every once in a while. <laughs> Just the back of his head. That's right. <laughs> Alright, let's get into it, Dean. What do, you rec- what do you think of the start of this film? <laughs> Wait, okay, cue so- it. This grand music, Dean. Oh, yes, yes. So... <laughs> I, actually, uh, uh- I do remember getting a couple of messages from you when this was playing like one minute two minutes <laughs> fucking well, hell six minutes well, holy shit an overture to begin this movie like I'm sitting in my lounge room like alright let's watch this movie and the music is pretty dull here to be honest three minutes and it's still gone and this I'm thinking maybe they're just trying to bore the audience so badly that when the movie finally does start no matter what the quality of it we will enjoy it because it's better than a still image Five minutes in. This is getting ridiculous. Six and a half minutes of this blank screen of Overture. What a joke. Why do we need a break before the movie even starts? Well, Dean... Well, back in the 50s, <laughs> my young friend. No, um, let's take a journey back to when we went and saw The Hateful Eight at the Astor Theatre up in Melbourne. 
Can you not compare Ben-Hur to the Hateful Eight, please? Hateful Eight had a nice overture at the start. It did, because it had epic music. There you go. All right, that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so we start off this movie with, of course, Three Wise Men. Yeah, what the fuck? I <laughs> thought this was going to be like an old-school gladiator movie. I'm waiting for some like serious Coliseum action. I know there's like exciting chariot races coming up that I'm really pumped for. Now we get introduced to Joseph of Nazareth in Jerusalem with a bloody shooting star falling out of the sky. Yeah, did you see... I was not expecting... <laughs> oh, this is going to be Rant City. <laughs> this religious crap at all. You really should have prepared me for this. Why should I prepare you for it? Because I've seen... I go, oh, I warn you, there's some Jesus and religious stuff in this film. Yeah, I'm 10 oh, minutes in, now. and I'm wondering why no one has been fed to a lion yet, I'll okay? I'll warn you now. Not one line in this film. This is not the last... Christianity or uh, religious film that we're going to be watching along this way, okay? So prepare yourself, all right? No, uh, but yeah, of course, this film is very centered around religion and Jesus, etc. Did you like the shooting star, though? What did you think of the. <laughs> they use that term shooting quite. Did you see the blue circle they? around the star? Was that just for us? Like, that wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have been able to see that, but they, they must have been like focusing on that. Like, hey, guys, that wouldn't audience, have happened. They, there would have been a big is, r- blue circle. Do you think circle. this is a true story? Oh, sorry, you want to say none of this happened? <laughs> We're alienating the, the religious people out there. No, no, no. We love religious people. We just uh, don't like watching it. Yeah, I'm not... Uh, I'm not really... This shooting star is so slow. Yes. It crawls across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really setting up well for you, is it, Dean? No, it really takes its damn time. But, yeah. but we should rejoice because Jesus is born. I remember when I was a child, I was in a nativity scene. I hated it then, and I hate it now. Who'd you play? Mr. Bean did it better, okay? Who'd you play in the nativity scene? I don't know, probably a fairy or angel. A fairy? Oh. So you, were, you had some experience. <laughs> they just could see my uh, unbridled abilities. What else you got? Yeah, look, I just want to quickly talk about the religion, because I really don't want to talk about religion about this whole thing. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I really don't. Do you don't. know what the tagline for this movie is? Ben-Hur... A tale, a tale of Christ. I didn't read the... Oh, well, if I knew that... That's maybe. like saying, hey, let's we're doing a review on No Country for Old Men, but just so you know, everyone, we're just not going to talk about the uh, country or the old men. There's this no, is the through line of this film. I thought we were talking about Ben-Hur. No, no, no. I thought no. the movie was called Ben-Hur, He's wasn't it? He's barely in it, all right? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's go back to religion for a second. It's obviously something I have very little interest in, so automatically watching this... This is the second time I've watched this as well. So automatically watching this from the start, I know it's going to be a slog. I honestly didn't remember a lot watching this the second go around. I watched this during my challenge, as I did with A Beautiful Mind, so yep. again powering through all those movies at once i really didn't remember a whole lot from this film so it's kind of going through it again as a first viewer uh my thoughts about the film i'll, I'll talk about it at the end but it, it's interesting to see when you go back and look at my thoughts the first time i watched it as well but for now the religion straight up I'm like oh no oh, i completely forgot about all this rightfully so but for the first section of this film to have all this stuff about jesus being born three wise men and all that stuff I was like, oh man, I know this is going to be a slog. If this film isn't going to impress me on this story, it better bloody well impress me in regards to acting and set pieces and score, etc. So I guess we're going to find out along the way here. Yeah. Thankfully, though, we get some reprieve. We get the title card of Ben-Hur. Honestly, I was very glad it came on at this point. Because yeah. <laughs> I thought I may have been watching the wrong movie. <laughs> 
yeah, uh, maybe maybe Ten Commandments I'd accidentally popped on. But uh, this title card goes for another two minutes. So we're 14 minutes into this movie now with only six minutes of actual film. And zero minutes of Ben-Hur. And, yeah, like, they were not even trying to make this movie just just a little bit shorter. I mean, just, anyone... Just a little. Anyone who didn't... for much. Anyone who didn't know about religion and Jesus and, Jesus and that... If they had seen this at the start and, be, and been shown the Jesus being born, and it cuts to Ben Hur titles, they were like, "Was that was that Ben Hur? Is this, is this an origin story?" No, but thankfully we do move into the first scene of Ben Hur as he has his catch up with Masala after many many years of not seeing each other. And let's just talk about Masala here for a second. I think he is he's quite an interesting character. You can see that he has sympathy for the Jews, like when he speaks to the centurion and says, This was his country before it was ours. Don't forget that. Yeah, he's, he, yeah, he is respectful. Yeah, you can see that this guy isn't just going to be this outright dictator and overall bad dude. He's going to be, he's going to be a bit complex as we go along here. Mm. So on the night of his return, Masala is visited by Judah Ben-Hur, and they reminisce over happy times so of is their boyhood. Judah, is Judah his first name? I think so. And Ben is his surname? I think it's his middle name. Uh, no, I think it's Ben hyphen her. So I think it's a full last name. Because I was genuinely confused a lot of the time with this Judah stuff. That's his like, first name. Is that a title? I was thinking, is this like a Jerusalem title for a prince? Judah? Could have been. I didn't live back in those days, if they ever existed. Ooh. So you can see the good camaraderie here between these two. You can tell they've been friends for many years. Yeah, now this relationship is really quite complex. And it's funny because from the original source material, this relationship was originally a uh, homosexual one. Well, they do have a couple of shots here where it does lean towards that, I reckon. There's a couple of little eye shots here and there that I picked up on, especially the part where they wrapped the cups, like they wrapped each other's arms around each other and drank out of the cups. I thought that was a little romantic. A little bit romantic, yeah. What I, what I found most amusing about this, though, is that um, the actor playing Marcella, Stephen Boyd, was told about it by the director, but no one would tell Charlton Heston because oh, they knew... NRA president they, gun-toting Charlton Heston, the man of all mans. he wouldn't be able to yeah, handle it. Yeah, of course it. not. Like, that's, I, I thought that was incredible. Charlton Heston, God. So the next day, Masala visits Judah with his mother Miriam and his sister Terza. So did you know that Martha Scott, who plays Ben-Hur's mother, she was only 45 at the time of filming. It was only 10 years older than Charlton Heston. Yeah, it's crazy. I think um, Charlton Heston's character, I think, is meant to be a lot younger yeah. than he's actually portrayed in the movie. Do you know she also played he Heston's mother in the Ten Commandments as well three years before? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. So let's talk about the argument, I guess, here between Masala and Judah that basically ruins their friendship. So when this scene came on, I was actually a uh, quite a big fan of it, to be honest. I think that the, the chemistry between Marcella and Ben-Hur is the probably the best thing about this movie. And... Honestly, I think the movie... I'll fight you about that. I think the movie has improved greatly since the Jesus stuff, since the title card. It wasn't hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but when you start with that, I had very, very low expectations. (laughs) If we weren't doing it for the podcast, it would have been switched off. Or would you have given it a couple more minutes just to see where it's going? I'm not sure when I would have turned it off. At least until Ben Hur came on the screen. Yeah, I don't think I would not... If this wasn't for the podcast, I wouldn't have got through it, I don't think. But I think the performances so far have been really good. In particular from Stephen Boyd, who plays Marcella here. The characters are really complicated with already fleshed out motivations and beliefs. We understand both sides of the argument and they're not so black and white. There's a lot of grey areas to it. Like Marcella has his view of Caesar as God 
who a, a man who has real power here on Earth, and Ben Hur is loyal to his Jewish people, yeah. and you can understand where they're both coming from. I felt this scene really, really did it well, which is why it's my excellent. Wow, really? Yeah. When I was watching it, I thought, gee, this could be. And I was sort of thinking, oh, we've got the big chariot race coming up. You know, everyone raves about that. Um, We're only 30 minutes into this three and a half hour movie. But honestly, this was the best scene of the movie for me. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I actually think it's a good back and forth here. I reckon we've got enough time here to set up their friendship from years past and to have it all come crumbling down over bloody religion. It's a bit unfortunate. I do... Wouldn't be the first time. No, in, of course uh, not. In history. I, I do love the line... Either you help me or you oppose me. You have no other choice. You're either for me or against me. And you get that overdramatic music because now it's fucking on now, mate. Yeah, and it reminded me so much of another movie, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, where, where Anakin says to Obi-Wan, If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Do you think that's where they got it from? I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. They are incredibly close. <laughs> so, we've got the love interest of the film. Fuck, what's her name? Esther? Yes. Esther. Esther? I think, just, we'll just say Esther. Okay, it's Esther. We've got Esther introduced here, and she has zero personality here. Yeah. She is literally just a female standing there, there and Ben-Hur just is blown away and just wants her as soon as he sees her. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, doomy eyes going on in this scene for both of them. <laughs> yeah. And we cut to when they're in the bedroom, like most great films. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No more. No, no more. more. No more. That's a one-time thing. <laughs> and he takes uh, he takes off a slave ring and gives it to him. Why? Like, he says he will wear it until he finds a wife. Again, why? Yeah, I don't understand So that. he can slap a slave ring on his new bride? <laughs> <laughs> I do, however, like the line they said to each other. If you were not a bride, I should kiss you goodbye. If I were not a bride, there would be no goodbyes to be said. Oh, snap. Oh, <laughs> cop that. Smooth, Ben, Judah. Actually, now that you've seen this film, can you remember the, the Simpsons callback to this? This scene? Just the, the movie in general. In the episode where they make the movies, the the critic comes to town and they have the film festival and Mr. Burns makes his epic. Yeah. There's a scene in there where Ben-Hur is getting dragged, like he's in the slave slave line. Yeah. He falls over and Mr. Burns had to give him the drink, a la Jesus. <laughs> he's like, and he goes... Drink up, Judah Ben-Hur. You truly are the king of kings. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so I never no, knew where good. that was yeah, from no, when I watched it. Yeah, I never got that. <laughs> so it's pretty, I don't know, random, I guess, that this whole thing is kind of a roof tile's fault in the end, isn't it? I mean, I think I think Marcella would have found a way. Yeah, no, I guess you're right. But to have it be a roof tile be the issue, I thought it was uh, a bit random. They could have had something a bit better come up. I didn't mind it. I enjoyed the randomness to it. I thought, oh, yeah, like when it just fell like that, you know, like it's unexpected. I do like how he goes up and has a look, sees that there, it is. It was an accident. Yeah, and he he and, he yeah, accidentally he does it does as well. <laughs> My bad, as he looks down. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when the guards actually like grab Ben Hur. They hit him with this 
key ring. Knocks him out in an instant. A key ring? Yeah, a key ring. Like a keychain, like a, a jailer's set of keys, like a key ring. They whack him. Oh, he just, that. it's just like a, and he's out. Bang. I was like, what the fuck? Is this our great hero of this film? <laughs> well, that's soft as. So we see him, we see him break out of his uh, prison and uh, he's silent. He strangles a guy and makes zero noise. Now, I did a little test on myself. You strangled yourself, did you? I put my hands around 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 my neck. Right. Used to that. There is no way this person who is strangling did not make a noise. It's it it can't happen. Doesn't matter how hard he's squeezing. You can always scream. You can always scream. How many times did you scream? I'm telling you, we we could try it here if you keep that up, Endo. You sure you didn't try the (laughs) the strangling in the bedroom? I wanted my own drum. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> it's about time you joined me. No, I do like the scene when he, he bursts into the chambers where Masala is and gets the spear, ready to throw it, throw it at him, ready to kill him. But, you know, he has to protect his mother and sister because if he does kill him, then they'll obviously go and kill them. I like the line, May God grant me vengeance. I will pray that you live till I return. And after nearly an hour, we finally get the setup for the rest of this film. Ben-Hur is getting taken away. We have the rivalry set between Ben-Hur and Masala, and the fact we've seen nearly an hour of this old friendship get built up for us gradually, to see it crumble has really got me invested in these two characters so far. And aside from the first 10 minutes, 14 minutes, aside from all that, this really hasn't felt like a long film so far for me. Yeah. The start after the 14-minute mark isn't bad. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So we get this uh, pretty important scene where Judah is walking through the streets... And everyone's getting water, and they've obviously been walking for a long, long time, and the guards won't let Ben-Hur have water. They single him out. Nah, not him. And he falls to the ground. He's desperate. And he says, God, help me. And we see hands reach down and gently give this man water. And who is it but... John C. No, no, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, man. He's here. All, all I was thinking... Listen to this music that's playing. All I was thinking is, please don't be Jesus. Please don't be Jesus. Please don't be Jesus. <laughs> Who did you want it to be? We've had a good 45 minutes here without this boring religious crap. And what do you know? We stand up and we see his long Jesus hair. And the bloody Roman guard goes to whip him, sees Jesus and stops. Why? Does he know who Jesus is? He has. He does know. They, they know who Wouldn't the person is. Wouldn't that be more reason to whip him? They know he's this miracle man. They think they might turn him? him into a frog. Does Jesus have such an incredible looking face that he can't whip him? I think... I don't get it. Yeah, I haven't read the Bible. <laughs> what? Don't give me that How shit. How dare don't you? Don't give me that shit. <laughs> I breached the New Testament once. I got the I got the cliff notes. No, I'm Old Testament, God. <laughs> You're old school. Fire and brimstone. <laughs> So we move ahead to three years later, where Judah is Roa 41 in a Roman galley. And this is where we're introduced to Roman consul Quintus Arius, who takes command of Quintus, the vessel. my sword. Now, what do you think of the the whole scene where he's they're gradually beating the drum harder and harder, and they're rowing faster and faster and faster? Yeah, I, actually, I enjoyed it. I was Because in- did you know there was actually a deleted scene here? Because the scene more? The scene wasn't supposed oh to finish God. there. They had They had battle speed. They had attack speed. They had ramming speed. That's my favourite speed. But they originally kicked it up to demon speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I was> gonna... 
<laughs> yeah, but it didn't did play. You, sorry, did you just say deaning speed? I said demon speed. Ah, <laughs> oh, sorry. Mistake. Yeah, but it didn't play well with the audience. Maybe you so should have lent me your ears. <laughs> but seriously, how is whipping them going to make them go faster? I mean, I, I maybe understand it for horses because they feel like they need to try and run away from the whip. But these guys, it's, it's, they're hurting them. They're, they're not going to go far. You don't think pain is a good motivator? I think it's going to make them sore. It's going to make them weaker. No. You can't attract a bee with salt. You need sugar. What? What's the fucking saying? I said, oh my God, I said this the other day at work about this bee quote. You attract more bees. Was it from that bee movie? No. You attract more bees with honey than than something else. Vinegar. You attract more bees with honey than vinegar. So the same with these people here. You're not going to get them to work harder by whipping them. So what should they be doing? Giving them like give them some clothes. Give them some clothes. Maybe a meal. You're an idiot. I think that I think they would have done much better the other way. If they got treated like almost equals, maybe were clothed, not fed, still keep them chained up. Maybe give them a bit of bread. Wow. Why not? No, pain is a motivator. Pain no. is a great motivator. I would have just yeah, you would have had you would have had people just leaving, and you'd be like, "Oh, sorry guys, you can <laughs> come can you please drinks. come back here? I've, I've, I found another loaf of bread. <laughs> oh wow, God, let me roast some more, please." No, uh, uh, maybe I'm just not like that. And kudos to not only Ben Hur but to most of those slaves because they bloody kept up the beat. Yeah, it was impressive. It was, it was it was impressive how fast these people. And could This roast. actually was shaping up to be my favorite scene. But something else actually pipped it along the way, and we'll get to that. Oh, I can't wait. We also get a little scene here where Ben-Hur goes down to the bedrooms. He's in the bedroom. <laughs> you <laughs> can't help yourself, I can't you? help myself. Well, we'll fade this out eventually. <laughs> now, he goes down there to see uh, Quintus, Arius. Did you think are, are he we was... Call, do we call him Quintus or Arius? It's got to be Quintus. Quintus. Nah, no, nah, say Arius. Arius? Yeah, Arius. Okay. So, he goes down to Arius... Arias? Arias. He goes into Arius's room. He just cruises on in. The guy's sleeping and the slave just walks in. Where's the fucking guard? Yeah, it was he, terrible. He Did you think he was there to, like, hurt him? I thought so, but then he says, oh, the guard let me down here. What? Fire kill, that guard. Kill that fucking guard. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, if I was Arius, I'd be a bit more pissed off than he actually was. Did you notice also there was this little weird cut in the middle of the scene? where it wasn't a cut from a different shot to shot. It was a cut in the middle of the shot when they were talking. The camera was slowly moving in as they're talking, and there's this cut. It's like there must have been an issue with the... Are you sure your VHS didn't just skip? Yeah, I might have. I might have hit the pause button too much on that scene. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're in the bedroom, Handover. Control yourself. <laughs> I also do like the line here that Arius says <clears throat> to Ben-Hur. Your eyes are full of hate. 41. That's good. Hate keeps a man alive. It gives him strength. Because of the vinegar. <laughs> See? Yes, okay. Wouldn't Fair have been enough. kept alive with honey. So we've got the we've got the sea battle coming up here, and it's it's not bad, but we we do see that Ben Hur is left unchained. Much like Jungle! <laughs> Yeah, and we get <laughs> He doesn't actually say that, but we do get this quote from him here. Once before, a man helped me. I didn't know why then. Another bloody Jesus reference. Like, for fuck's sake, let it go. I do not understand the significance of this point at the Jesus stuff. It feels so forced, and especially here. This is a religious movie around the time... It's like Jesus is the story in the background. Yeah, I wish this movie was called Jesus Christ, A Tale of Ben-Hur. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave it at that. 
What? Nah, but for, look, for a movie from the 50s, this actually looks rather good. It's, and I think it still holds up a little bit. Like, the battle scenes are handled like very well, and they still look great. Yeah, it, when we have that, that ship at the end, like, coming into random, it looks believable. Yeah. Like, I'm really impressed with how well it's held up from 70 years ago, pretty much. Yeah, 70 years ago. 69 years ago. Depends on when you listen to this. What? This is going to be listened to for years and years and years to come. This is going to be put in history museums of how the great boys from... From Melbourne. Can I just say, for all you American listeners, it's pronounced Melbourne, not Melbourne. It really annoys me I'm every sure single time. I'm sure they can come back at us with a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff. Okay. It's dance, not dance. Yeah, but it's Melbourne. Castle, not castle. Not Melbourne. Here we have these two from Why Melbourne. are you trying to eliminate half of our audience here? No, I love half our audience. You've, you've already attacked the Christian... I love both halves. You've already attacked... <laughs> <laughs> you've, already, you've already attacked the religious people. Don't go alienating the Americans as well, okay? <laughs> Yeah, so there is still some obvious green screens in this movie, or in this scene, like when they're finally off the boat. Did so, they have green screens back then? They did. They did have them. You saw it in Vertigo, which is out around the same time. They were doing yeah, green the screens. The year before. Then. Yes. Yeah, so they do have green screens. But I did notice that when they were sitting on the wooden plank after the boat had been destroyed, that was very obvious there with the green screen. But overall, I thought this whole scene was like, really good. What did you think about chaining the the rowers downstairs? To leave them there to row? Yeah. Well, I th- they don't. If the boat goes down, why would they want to keep them alive? What if the boat gets boarded by the enemy, and you've got a hundred able-bodied men who weren't able to help fight because why they're do you think they're going to help them for the vinegar? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the other boat has honey. <laughs> Come with us. We've got bread and honey. Did you notice there was one of the extras down the down on the no. one of the extras didn't have an arm. And it was very prevalent. Like, he was in screen. I noticed it. Like, okay, he has no arm. But he had, like, a bit of bone sticking out. Mm. Now, this extra was... Act- obviously, he was missing a hand. But he had the makeup department construct a prosthetic that included a protruding false bone. The bone was false. Yeah, it's a good idea. And William Wyler actually made similar use of another extra who was missing a foot as well. Now, let's ask the question. Why hire them? Do you think it just uh, makes... I don't know. Maybe because he doesn't discriminate against the less able-bodied so people. So why make a prosthetic What is then? wrong with you? Are why you make... trying to alienate why... our less bodied Why make listeners? a prosthetic? If he's not trying to alienate, why make a prosthetic? Why for not the, just let him... For the lols. <laughs> <laughs> Good contradiction there, Dino. I like that. What do you think of Ben-Hur saving this captain here? I was going to ask, what do you think of him looking absolutely ripped for someone who's been as a slave for three years? What do I think of someone who has been working out nonstop for three With years? no food. Looking ripped. I no think, food. I think that's pretty accurate. I don't think that applies to someone who's been working out and not eating. He, he has would be, been. He would be skin and bones. Nah, muscle. It's Charlton. Oh, I'm Esther. sorry. What about all the other extras who were pretty decimated? They were all buff too. <laughs> all right. Uh, you I'm wish gonna, you looked gonna, like that. I'm going to suspend my disbelief there. What were you saying? What about him saving? Saving Arias. I thought it was good. Like, if he, if he saves him, which is exactly what happens, if he saves him and, and they survive, he's going to be indebted to him. If he doesn't save him, he's out there by himself and he gets picked up, they're going to kill him. Ben-Hur obviously isn't thinking this, but someone else will probably be thinking, bargaining chip, I can use him. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure Ben-Hur was thinking that. That's what I just said. <coughs> I thought it was funny that uh, Arias tried to seppuku himself. And again, they fight so quietly. No words, no grunts, nothing. It's just like someone turned the sound down. It's so weird. Did you not notice this? No, I didn't notice that. Oh, it threw me off. 
And then, again, we have one of these ridiculous things that this movie does where Ben-Hur then gently taps Arius's head with a chain, a loose chain. I did notice that. And he gets instantly knocked out. <laughs> I tell you, these, these people ma- back these then. These magical chains. <laughs> yeah, I thought they really could have worked a bit harder on the fight scene here. It was laughably bad. What did you think about the, the skip in time to when you find out that Judah is now a champion chariot racer and he's had five different victories in the Roman arena and he's about to become the heir to Arius's fortune. Just, they throw it in so casually, like like it's nothing. Like I would yeah. I would rather a five years later title card because the way they... Oh, you want more title cards, do you? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> subtitle? I don't know. Like The way they do it is just so... I don't know. It just feels like exposition. Yeah, I mean, to think that this incredibly long film doesn't show this feat of him being this yeah. chariot racer. It, it did not show it on the screen. It seems a bit of a misstep. I mean, is this because... We go the- from slave to he's, like, wealthy and respected like that. Yeah, I know. But do you do you think they did this, especially with the chariot racers, do you think they did this because the chariot race we see at the end is going to hold more significance? Like, to show multiple different chariot races along the way here is going to less- lessen... The chariot race at the end? Yeah, it would take the impact off that final race. And I or guess, maybe because the budget wasn't there to film more than one. Well, that's the thing. It cost a fortune. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I understand why they've done it. It just it does feel a little odd. Now, I know you mentioned, you know, Gladiator-style story at the start, but do you think this story does ring true to the film Gladiator? Like, Freeman gets betrayed by someone he knows quite well. He becomes a slave. He ends up becoming a champion at a spectator sport and gets his freedom back. Yeah. Yeah. I think it matches very well with Gladiator. And I don't think that's a good thing. For what? Because it's a bad version of Gladiator, even though it came out obviously much earlier than Gladiator. Is it because of all the religious stuff? That doesn't help. <laughs> but like when when like you know, you've got this movie Gladiator, which is a you know, a true masterpiece, and then you've got this, which just does it so poorly. Ugh. When I know what good looks like, it's hard to watch something like this. So are you enjoying yourself in this film so far? No. You're not? No. It's okay. God awfully long, and it's not. And it's not that it's long that is the issue. It feels so, okay, so long. Yeah, obviously that's that's like I don't mind really long movies. As long like, as you obviously once upon a time in America is yeah. a, one of my favorites, but this movie just feels so long. It's so boring. It's so slow. The pacing is so terrible. They throw in all these. Oh, he's been wrong for three years, just so casually. Oh, now he's suddenly, you know, is being named his son. And he is, is is in line to inherit all the fortunes of this high-ranking Roman. He gets adopted. Like, what the fuck? They needed to build this relationship up a lot more. It came from left field. I don't want to say this film needs to be longer, but it just, there was no setup. They definitely could have cut out other stuff to add in Ex- something here. Exactly right. Yeah, and, I do yeah. agree that they do kind of jump ahead in time here really quickly without much explanation. And yeah... <laughs> I I don't have as big of an issue with the with the long run time so far as you do. I feel there are certain points that have dragged, and I do agree with you here that they could have done a little little something differently rather than saying, "Oh yeah, he's his champion now, and he's going to get the the throne soon." Hmm. Like, ah, okay, well, well not not quite the throne, Hendo. The heir to the throne. He's not the heir to the, the throne. The heir to Arius's fortune, or whatever. Yes, the fuck he's it is. not the heir to Caesar. There's so much information in this movie. I, you know, pardon me for getting one thing wrong. We did mention it earlier how Charlton Heston, um, I feel, is playing a character who's meant to be a lot younger. And I feel like this scene here where they 
they talk about um, Arius adopting him and making him his son and all that sort of stuff. They speak of Ben-Hur as if he is a child, a young man at best. He's 35. <laughs> like, this isn't someone who needs a new a new daddy in his life, you know? Yeah, it's a bit weird. And if you haven't had enough religious speak here, when he's on his way back to Jerusalem, they stop at this oasis and they meet Balthazar of Alexandra. And he says he thinks he might be a man he saw as a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. I mean, come on. Give it a rest. <laughs> they can't. They can't help themselves. Oh, You've got to throw the Jesus in along the way. Yeah. Well, he, he was one of the wise, well, the wise men. If he was that wise, why wouldn't he know? <laughs> why wouldn't he exactly. know it's not him? They're throwing around those titles pretty easily. <laughs> but they do strike up a friendship, and he introduces him to Sheikh Ilderim. Now, is this controversial or iffy that this guy's white? Is he white? He's white. And oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you sure? Is there a better photo? Oh, he is white. So, what do you think about that? I mean, he's playing an Arab. Why? I genuinely thought he was not Caucasian. Well, I guess they did their job, but it's I, funny didn't, I didn't. I didn't. I look at my... Mm, that's a bit weird. Let me just double check this. Oh, he's white. For God's sake. Seriously? I don't know. It was a different time back then, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I just... I don't understand why they had why they decided to do that. I mean, it's so glaringly obvious to some people, not to other people. Not to those to who don't see colour. What, were you watching the black and white? God. It's one for colour, Dean. <laughs> What do you think of a little funny scene here in the tent about Ben-Hur not burping? Nothing. You thought nothing? Did you not understand that? I understood it. I just thought nothing of it. Okay, fair enough. What did you think of it? I chuckled a bit. I thought it was pretty funny for the, the setting they were in and the, and, I the, mean, it, and the culture that they were he was in. He didn't know about I it. I guess it's arguably the funniest scene in the movie. Ooh, um... <laughs> not a lot of humour in this film, is there? No. I mean, I'm trying to think of something that's funny. Is there a single joke in it? No, no, I, re- I don't think it is. But uh, this obviously isn't trying to play as a comedy, but they had that little scene in there to lighten the mood, I guess. Ugh. I was more impressed with the uh, training of the horses, to be honest. They just come and go on demand. It's really impressive. So we obviously get Balthazar coming in and calling Ben out for wanting to kill Marcella. And then Balthazar starts crapping on about Jesus again. <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> So I think we're getting into a point now where I am starting to get incredibly, incredibly bored. Yes. When Judah arrives home and he sees all the decay. No, this 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 scene will stop your boredom because Esther's back. Oh, this scene and the next scene when they have their kiss and they reveal their feelings. I'm like, my God, you could have easily swapped this out with some, you know, some story about how he... Or nothing. Or nothing. Could have swapped it out for nothing and cut the runtime a little bit. I know something that you could cut out that would cut the runtime by at least an hour that we've already spoken about a bunch here. (coughs) Religion. (coughs) Moving on. We have this this scene here where Marsala gets this gift of an expensive knife. Finally, we see Marsala again. Yes. Like, holy shit. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh yeah, the good part of this movie. He's toying with a whip. Like, when I saw this, I was just like... Clearly, this amazing whip work from him is going to come into play later. You, of course. You just see it, you're like, yeah, okay, he's going to start whipping Ben-Hur later. So when Masala has a look at this knife and discovers that it's from Judah Ben-Hur, I was half expecting this... <laughs> shocking music reveal to accompany this. But kudos to the movie for restraining itself from using that cliche that happens in most other movies. 
You think that's a cliche to have that shocking twist music in there? Uh, I mean, yeah, but I mean, we're watching Ben Hur at one eleven Academy Awards, Hendo. This film's better than that. That's why they didn't use it. One for best score. It's the culmination of this guy's work over twenty years. You think he's going to put in a cheap sound effect like that? No, he doesn't, and that's why it's good. I do like this Charlton Heston acting here, and our Ben Hur is so intense and forthright and you see Masala totally bitches out here you can see the fear on his face when he's like you get my mother and sister out of the prisons or it's going to be hell to pay mm. and he tries to stand up he's like and then he's like go get them go get them go find them yeah yeah what a pussy jeez it wouldn't be good to live in one of those prisons back in the day would it, it was uh it's pretty grim down there in the old prisons of yeah, judea I, d- I did like this scene it actually was you know it built tension a bit they go marcella sends his little helper down to get uh ben-hur's mum and sister and i really like the shots of them going deep into these dark dark dungeons but i just didn't understand why would they even bother keeping them alive at this point like i, I just didn't see the point if they're just gonna like what do they care if they kill them i don't think it was their choice well, someone's choice. It was just very odd. And then when they're like, oh, are they alive or not? They're like, oh, yeah, they're definitely alive because the food always disappears. So, obviously implying that the cell's never been opened. When he opened it and he had that shock look on his face. Do I they have a they toilet were... in there? I, I don't know. Surely the room would get pretty small pretty quickly if they didn't. Were there toilets back then? There were holes. Oh, they made a dug a hole. <laughs> no, I thought it was weird how when he did say... The food disappears all the time. He opens the door and he has that shock look on his face. Yeah. I thought they were going to reveal skeletons and the food was getting eaten by like rats. Yeah, me too. I was like, oh my, I was like, this is the point in the movie where I was most interested in it. I was like, oh, what is it? And then they're like, they walk out and you don't see it. And then the other guy comes in. I'm like, here we go. We're going to get the reveal. No, nothing. Are he's you kidding he's, me? Here's my rewrite of this movie, okay? Here's what would make it better for me. Cut out all the religious crap, all the Jesus stuff, wipe out the last 45 to an hour of this film. The mother and sister are dead here. Mm. Continue the story as yep. usual. Masala dies. He's got his revenge. The end. And Ben-Hur dies in the battle as well. Right? Because otherwise, he kills Masala, he goes back to an empty home, he's still depressed. Right? If he dies too... He goes back to Esther. Yeah, I'd be depressed. <laughs> <laughs> That's worse than no Esther. Classic Esther. <laughs> Fucking Esther. <laughs> uh, it took me actually a few guys to hear what they were saying. I believe they say, take them outside the city and release them at once. Burn the cell. I'm just like, what is in there? Lepers. Like, it's all lepers. It's contagious. They don't want to touch it. And then we get them coming back to the house. <sighs> oh my God. This is so boring. So pointless. They finally get there. They've been years away, obviously fantasizing about coming back. Seeing, you know, the son, their brother again. And they, they just want to leave again. Like, Ben-Hur walks past them. They all stay quiet. I'm thinking, man, are they deformed or something? Why did they go back to Ben-Hur's house if they were never going to see him anyway? For plot device. Were they just going to hang out front? <laughs> and then we sort of get a little face reveal. And they have some something on their faces. Like, it doesn't even look that bad. It looks like a couple of warts or something. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so guess what we have after this bit? It's a fucking intermission. Look. <laughs> yeah, this was almost my favourite scene because I <laughs> genuinely needed a break after that previous scene. <laughs> yeah, I was getting a bit excited at this point that this would be overture level of length, that I could miss another 10 minutes or so. No. 
Unfortunately, only three minutes. What, you didn't listen to this glorious music? No, I, I skipped, skip, 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 skip until I got to... Oh, there's a scene So again. you didn't watch the whole movie. <laughs> How dare you? I'm committed. I sat through all this. Sorry. Did actually, you sit through the overture sorry. like I did? While it was playing, I went and got a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I went to the shops. <laughs> and on the overture, I went, and put a, put a, <laughs> I went and put a pie in the oven. And then I got it out in time. <laughs> So now, after this intermission, we get into... Sheik. Sheiky. Setting up a bet. Now, they make a bet of... Thousand talents. Thousand talents? Yes, a thousand talents. How much do they bet? Because I must have missed that. A thousand talents? (laughs) A thousand talents? A thousand talents. Did you know, actually, a thousand talents? Because that was actually a real currency... It's actually the modern-day equivalent of approximately $660 million. Really? So after this little wager is put on, we get to... Excellent! What a surprise. Of course it's not a surprise. I mean, this is this is a fucking crazy scene. I, I love this whole thing here. You get that awesome quote. This is the day, Judah. It's between us now. Yes, this is the day. And straight up, at the start of this race, big, epic music. I saw the obvious displays here of Masala dressed in black. Like, he's the evil villain here. Mm. You can see it. Mm. But why not go all out and put Judah in white? Put them contrasted against each other. I think I think there's actually a rule in this movie. Only Jeebus... Sorry, Jesus can be in white. Jeebus! <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And the green screen actually looks pretty good. In the close-up scenes here as well, during the chariot race, I felt I thought it looked pretty good. Like this was shot over a period of nine months at Rome's Cinecitta Studios. The outdoor set of the chariot race circus was actually built for a film at the time. This chariot race required fifteen thousand extras on set, which was constructed on eighteen acres of backlot at this studio. Tour buses were visiting the set every hour. Like eighteen chariots were built, and half of them were only being used for practice. Mm. This is how massive. This whole spectacle is here. It cost about $4 million, about a fourth of the entire budget. It took 10 weeks to shoot. There was an infirmary that was created, especially for the filming of this actual scene. However, in the end, very few injuries were actually sustained, most of them just being from sunburns. So luckily, that was good there. It is lucky. What I liked most about this, my favorite little factoid about this scene, did you know that this uh, William Waller didn't even direct it? Who did, Dean? Well, I've got conflicting reports on this. So I have read that it was directed by David Lean. I heard he declined that offer. I I heard that he did it and declined to have his name put as accredited uh, director on the movie. But then I read that his first and second unit directors were in charge of directing this scene and he merely edited it. Yeah, that's something I heard there. Do you think this just seems awfully convenient to get someone to direct the hardest and most impressive scene in your movie? That's what first unit directors and second unit directors are all about. There's probably movies out there from great directors you know that actually had their second unit directing staff go out and do some of those big crucial scenes in the film. Mm. I must say, the track does look pretty spectacular, though. I mean, this scene, this whole scene is incredible. Like The stunts are sensational. Everyone looks like they're in great danger throughout this whole race. The guy hanging on the back of the horses, jumping out of the way of them, even when he gets mowed down by the horses, it doesn't even look like a dummy. These dummies were designed to mimic, like, human movement, like, the, the weight of certain areas of the dummy. Like, when that the horse goes around and the guy gets collected off the side of the, mm. the guard there, the way he falls looks like a genuine 
human falling. And people actually believe that that was a real person. I tell you a story. When I was at high school, my media teacher told us that that was a real person. <laughs> Why? He legit believed it was a real person. Seriously, he said that. Fair enough. You know, I actually, I've said that I haven't seen Ben-Hur before, but that's not actually entirely true. You liar. You bold face liar. How dare you? I've, I've seen some of the chariot scene at school before in Italian class. Italian? There's not even any Italian in it. Well, they're in Rome. Oh, my God. Any excuse for the teacher to Jesus sit down and Christ. let the kids watch something on TV. Unreal. I don't remember any of it, but I do remember um, that, yeah, we sat down and watched some Ben-Hur. But seriously, the perfect timing and setup of some of these shots would have been immense. Like, when they're, like I said, when they're trying to get the fallen chariot and the horses off the field and the others are coming rushing around the corner that's fucking crazy like because that's legit yeah it's insane and the actual continuity and storyboarding of this scene is done perfectly too when you get the back and forth shots of on the set and in the green screen shots the background activity in the green shots is seamless of what's happening on the on set shots from shot to shot it's handled perfectly I love the continued close-ups of the spikes on the wheel, just adding to that gripping tension. Yeah, more importantly, why are those spikes allowed? Oh, I'm sure there's no rules in Roman Then why doesn't races. everyone have the spikes on their Maybe wheels? Maybe because he's, he's in that charge. That was an absolute deal-breaker. Like, he just took out the majority of the field with it's the It's like spikes. the blue shell in Mario Kart, all right? There's no rules about it, okay? Yeah, this whole entire scene here, this 22-minute scene of epicness, is obviously my favourite scene. And I remember us talking back... And once upon a time in America, when you asked what are some of the best scenes ever filmed, I could say with, with quite some certainty here, this would actually be on that list at some at some point in that list. This is one of the best scenes I've ever seen in any scene. What? Se- in Did any you movie. have any emotional connection to it? I thought it... It doesn't... What? You don't have to have a scene that is emotionally connected to have it be a great scene. Is there, is there a whole bunch of action scenes out there that you love, but, oh, there's no emotional connection to what's going on? No. That's one part of a movie. That's a massive part. I do have an emotional connection to this. Between the battle between Judah and Masala as well and how that ends. To see his friend getting run over by horses, that is very emotional. And it adds to it. Okay, so this is one of your favourite scenes of all time, I think this is one of... There's a difference between best and favourite. You could have a favourite movie. Okay, is this one of your favourites? No, this is one of the best shot scenes ever. Ah, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Okay. I'm sorry, Jesus. I mean, sure. Like, I won't fight you hard on that. I mean, it was, have, it was made in the 50s. This scene is very impressive. But there are favourite scenes of mine that, because they're enjoyable and not because they're, like, fantastically I mean, technically made. the best. Oh, who cares about that? Seriously. You, do you think that I, scene I in watch, Once Upon a Time watch, in America watch, is technically done? I watch film do you think that scene in Once Upon a Time in America? that gets to me on an emotional level. And I don't want to watch something and go, wow, technically, that was amazing. Didn't really like it, personally, but technically. So what's your opinions on Mad Max, then? During all those big action scenes, do you think they're great? Mad Max is a good movie, yeah. Do you think those action scenes, where there's no emotional weight to it, do you think that they're they're not good, because they're just technically great? They're not my favourites. They're fine. Do you think there's any action films out there that you think these are sensational action films that don't have any emotional weight to them? But you like the, you no, like all the, the best favourite one, scenes. All the best ones have emotional attachment to their scenes. I can't even ask you to give an opinion because you would not give an opinion of a great action scene. You would try to contradict what I said. I can't even offer you to give me an opinion because it doesn't work that way. It's, a back and, it's not a back and forth there. Let's just agree to disagree because I don't think we're going to get anywhere with this topic right now. Okay. You're wrong. Um... Oh yeah, I was, oh, I'm, I was, so, I'm wrong about my opinion. Yes, your opinion. Why is, is wrong. my opinion wrong? Anyway, about my so opinion. Marcella, Marcella falls off. Shut up. 
right? Marcella falls off and I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. He's going to jump back on, maybe ride the horses, you know. But no, he falls off and he drops. And I was like... There's no he, way he's getting back up he's after getting, trampling. He's getting dragged. And I'm like, eh... I'm like, there's, still thinking there's still another hour to go. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he'll be fine. And then, bang, he gets galloped, like, brutally yeah, by all these harsh. horses. It's I'm so like, bad. I was like, holy shit. Like, they've killed him. There's no way he survives here. And then the next scene, he's awake in a bed. I thought, are you fucking kidding me? But. Yes, but. There has to be a but there. They had this little scene with Ben-Hur, like, acknowledging him, him dying which I guess they needed to to add more emotional weight to it because obviously the scene before had none. So I think that You're so there wrong, they... But, that's, under, your, but that's your opinion. I that's your opinion. I understand and I respect why, your opinion. I understand why the scene was there. And then when he died, I was like, oh, cool, he's dead. They've, the end? They've done it. I wish. To be honest, obviously this film will be a lot better if it ended here, if they cut out everything else, all the religious stuff that's in it. But yep. that's the movie that they're going for. This is this. Yeah, this you technically from the jump, this, brilliant movie. Yeah, you, scene. This is a religious film. They, you know that from the start. So well, I didn't. You did when you saw the first scene. <laughs> but I don't want to beat around the bush here. I do think the rest of this film is quite boring. Mostly, be- is it well made though? I think I think that's the real important question here. You're gonna go about this. You're gonna go about this for a while, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> There is a okay. Let's let's go back to the fun part, the better part. Let's talk about this scene again. This this chariot race. There is some emotion to that scene, so don't go say there's none because there is this build up of this rivalry of this friendship between these two, and it culminates in him getting trampled. Yeah, I'm not saying there's none there. I'm saying yes, you did. No, I'm saying there's no personal emotion. All right, I don't personally feel invested in these characters or care. Okay, really well what I, do. To I do. I do. Why didn't you say that before? I said it along the way that you care about these two people. Is it? Oh, it's not about personal favorites. It's just uh, technically it was well made. Like, yeah, no shit, it was well made. That's part. That's it was mostly... sixty years ago. <laughs> Why every film was technically made perfect back then? With a scene like this, it was. But damn right, it was. Right. I think you're missing the point, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make you change your mind. This is you're the one that because, keeps bringing it up because there's nothing else to talk about. <laughs> and I seriously uh, mean that we, because do we want to talk about anything. I. Here? I'm sorry, guys. I. I don't have anything else to talk about with this film. It is, you know, if you've seen it, you know what happens. He, you know, he gets his, his mum and sister out of the leper cave and they stumble upon Jesus on the cross. And then miraculously, his mother and sister are fine. And that happens after he Jesus sacrifices himself and gets crucified. But i got nothing to say about it. I, uh, Dean? What? Sorry, I nodded off there. Yeah, it's it's just so boring. What do we got? We got more Esther, which we all love. Um, <laughs> we got yeah, the his family members just magically becoming better. I don't think that's how Jesus works. I am fully ready to go to final thoughts. Oh, and Esther just from nowhere says to him, "Hatred is turning you to stone. It's as though you had become Misala." What the fuck? How uncalled for is that? It's nowhere yeah. near like he's become a Marcella. Yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah, yeah, so seriously, if you've got nothing more to say about the rest of the film, because I, I feel like after the end of that chariot race, this really starts to... I wouldn't say it gets incredibly boring, like really, really boring, but it does take a massive dip for me, and I really just don't have anything to talk about because it's it's, it's basically just about re- religion, and this this extra story doesn't, doesn't appeal to me. Mm. So have you got anything else to say? Mm, nah, I mean, nah, we can skip all that. Let's let's finish this up. All right, let's go to... Any last words? 
All right, Dean, kick us off with your final thoughts for Ben-Hur. This is a brilliantly made, technically masterful film, which I personally did not enjoy. It is an absolute slog. The massive subplot of religion and Jesus feels so unnecessary and tacked on that it takes away from the rest of the movie. You could have lost that entire plot and the movie would improve massively. I wonder if the recent remake of Ben-Hur delves into this religious stuff. I, I genuinely don't know. But it's such a massive part of this movie. I just, I did wonder if they tackled it in this day and age. They should have focused so much more on the relationship and rift between Ben-Hur and Marcella. They are the stars of this movie. That is the bread and butter of this movie. That's the good stuff. Times were obviously very different in 1959. And when this movie came out, it would have been like nothing seen before and would have been very, very impressive. The scale of this film is incredible, especially, as we've said, the chariot race, which is clearly a high point of this movie. It should have been the ending of it. See Gladiator for how to finish a movie like this properly. Charlton Heston is like he always is, very passionate, extremely intense, and for the most part, quite likable. But for me, it's Stephen Boyd's performance that steals every scene he's in. He is massively underused here. I wasn't a fan at all of the mother and sister Aleppo's storyline either, and Esther was just nothing. She was a nothing character. On the whole, I was so glad when this movie finished, and I will never watch it again. What are your thoughts? So, my second viewing of this film was an interesting one, to say the least. I couldn't remember my initial thoughts about it. So I thought it'd be cool to see what I did say after my first watch. I went and checked my review after I'd tallied up all my notes and got my opinions down. And this is what I said. You can certainly appreciate this movie for how it managed to get made in the era it was. I did have my doubts going in that this was a long, drawn-out, dated religious epic, but was pleasantly surprised when I got a well-acted action-revenge flick, with religion really taking a back seat, for the first two-thirds at least. I believe I would have given this a higher rating had it not been for the last half an hour, where the movie takes a sharp turn and starts to focus a bit more on the religious side of things, which made me start to tune out. But it still maintained its grandiosa, which is why the rating dropped so little. The long runtime was never really a factor for me, which was a big bonus for movies that go beyond that 180 minute mark. Still holds up quite well. And it's kind of weird because normally when you see a movie several years later that you don't remember a lot about, you're going to have at least a couple of different opinions about it. When I compared my notes and opinions this time around to last time, they were virtually identical. I, I feel exactly the same as I did the first time, and I didn't even know it. Yes, the religious side of this film is super boring and really detracts from it, but the story in between of Judah and his journey to into exile, betrayed by his best friend Masala, and his quest for revenge is certainly great, and during those points the pacing was great and never felt like a long film. The effects for the time are well done, and the acting from Charlton Heston and Stephen Boyd are great as well, but that bloody chariot race is absolutely superb, and would easily go down on my list of greatest scenes ever filmed. But like I said, the time dedicated to religion, and in particular the last portion of the film, were lackluster and a downright drag. If the film ended, the t if the film ended after the chariot race and Masala's death, this film would have been much higher for me. But this is the movie that we got, and that's why it is just a very, very light pass for me. Pass. It's a pass. So you'd pass on it. Good to hear. Okay. What else we got next? You've taken my wording wrong. <laughs> it passes the mark. Oh, okay. All right, let's get into... I was the best because the crowd loved me. Normally I need to check my list to see where I put a movie, but uh, 
Yeah, this is easily uh, the worst film that uh, we've reviewed. Sorry, okay. sorry, I should I should uh, actually specify. Not necessarily the worst film, but my least favourite of the films we've reviewed. What about you, Hendo? Okay, so it's not as cut and dry for me. I'm, I did have a think about it, and I, I ended up putting it between Vertigo and Singing in the Rain. Wow. It's, Vertigo is, is a much better film than Ben-Hur, and I appreciate this film a lot more than Singing in the Rain. Really? Yeah. So I at least had some fun with Singing in the Rain. It certainly did. didn't sound like you did. No, there were some fun points to it. Uh, I had, there's no fun in this movie. I had no fun watching this movie. Yeah, fair enough. That's your opinion. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Oh. All right, we've got our email review from Classic Shane. All right, Dean, why don't you give us the review? All right, Ben-Hur. First time watch, thanks to the IMDb Journey podcast. I know what they're thinking. Don't thank us yet. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, Ben-Hur is a mediocre film hiding behind religious validation, a big budget, and a whopping three-and-a-half-hour runtime. A big budget is fine, and the film looks great, especially for 1959, but those other two, I don't know. There is one film I've seen about the coming of Christ that was a bit similar to this film, and that was, of course, the five-star classic Life of Brian. Can I just stop there? I think the only similarities between those two films is that it's about someone during the time of when Jesus was alive doing his thing. I'll admit, when they showed the people on the cross at the end of the film, I was waiting for the always look Really? After all that hilarious banter? Uh, I wish. I wish so hard. Just just throw in something lighthearted. Once! Once, Ben-Hur. Anyway, let's get back to this. Basically, Life of Brian cuts out all the bad bits in this film and fills the rest of it with jokes, so you're entertained throughout the hour and a half duration. I won't lie, I initially thought Ben-Hur was going to be heralded as a great film I'd missed, when I was enjoying it up to about the 90-minute mark. Everything up to the slave ship was great. After that, our protagonist is set free and all tension dissipates. I didn't mind the chariot pod race... Now this is pod racing. But the rest of it was just overdrawn with little character development. The hand job... (laughs) The hand job nods to Jesus were also a bit annoying. For three and a half hours, this admittedly could have been hell. On the other hand, the brutal fall of Ben and his torments through the slave ship were promising that this could have been a powerful film. In the end, just mediocre. Alright, thanks for that, Shane. I think you actually liked it, Shane, more than I expected you to. If you want to send us your reviews of any future films we're going to be doing, please send them in to imdbjourney at gmail.com or you can get a hold of us on Twitter at imdbjourney. So let's take a look at the Twitter poll for our movie draft from last week where we drafted movies that won eight or more Academy Awards. And we see here with a 60% win... Dean takes it down with his team of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Titanic, Slumdog Millionaire, Ben-Hur, and My Fair Lady. So, good job there, Dean. Well done. Thank you, Hendo. Appreciate your uh, your praise there. So, as such, I've got another movie Wait, for you to... you might want to hold on to that, because we've got a... Pop quiz, asshole. Now, this is going to be a regular part of the podcast now we're going to do it a little differently so instead of me just giving dean all the questions we're going to do a back and forth here where i've got lots of different movie trivia games assorted around the the place so we'll give each other five random movie questions each week and the person who gets the most 
gets to give the other person a movie to watch for the upcoming week. Sounds and good. if there's a tie, we'll just keep going until we break there's the tie. <laughs> exactly. Okay, now let's cue the music. Nope. We want something a bit more dramatic than that. All right, Dean, who wants to go first? <laughs> Does it matter? I mean, come on. All right. True or false? The Prestige. <laughs> It gets better. Is a 2006 mystery film starring Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Come on. Is that it? That's true. Correct. Yes. I thought you were going to say something like, no, it was a 2005 film or some shit, even though I knew it was 2006. All right, true or false, Dean? Mel Brooks provided the voice of Big Weld in the 2005 animated feature Robot. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You get... (laughs) <laughs> you get prestige, I get a Mel Brooks animated thing. It's the luck of the draw, mate. <sighs> True. Well, it was only 50-50, yeah, you're right. <laughs> this thing had been on one if it was false. Okay, one all. In Hugo... Damn it. The title character's greatest desire is to fix what kind of machine? A, an automaton. B, a train. C, a clock. A clock. Wrong. The answer is A, an automaton. In Hugo, the title character wants to repair a message-writing automaton that his deceased father was working on. Well, that's what I get for not seeing the film. All right, Dean. Which actor stars as the title character in 2015 film Ant-Man? A. Chris Evans. B. Robert Downey Jr. C. Paul Rudd. I'm going to go with C. Paul Rudd. That is correct. All right. Two to one. True or false? In the Lord of the Rings movies, Gollum is also known as Smeagol. True. Correct. Dean, true or false, Dwayne Johnson faces the aftermath of a hurricane in 2015 San Andreas. Ooh, is it a hurricane? I have seen it. I'm trying to think what else it could be. True. No, it's false. Oh. It's earthquakes. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Alright. What are we sitting at? Two all still? Or two all now? Two all. Who is the voice of Burger Beard the Pirate in SpongeBob movie Sponge Out of Water? What? A. I have multiple choices. <laughs> A. Jim Carrey. B. Antonio Banderas. C. Kevin James. Fucking hell. <laughs> I don't think it's Jim Carrey. I mean, Kevin James would make so much sense because he's just, it's so, the whole thing is just so fucking dumb. Antonio Banderas did Puss in Boots. Would you go do something else again like that? Kevin James. It was Antonio ah, Banderas. <laughs> fucking hell. And, I mean, what does Remy want to be in the 2007 movie Ratatouille? A chef, a baseball player, or a skateboarder? (laughs) (laughs) A chef. Yeah, very good. All right. Two to three, or three to two. Final question. Final question. True or false? Johnny Depp got his first Academy Award for his role in Philadelphia. Did you say Johnny Depp? (laughs) What do you think I said? False. Correct. All right, Dean, you're going to get this to seal the deal and win this. True or false? (laughs) Hugh Jackman played Cyclops in the 2000 film X-Men. <laughs> what is this bullshit? <laughs> False. Ah, oh, yes, you are correct. Fucking hell. You're on a roll with these fucking movies, aren't you? Yep. All right. All right. So, yeah, well done, you. What a joke. <laughs> fucking Antonio Banderas. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. Okay, so this week I've got two movies to give you and I'm going to go with Black Swan. Cool. Yep, all right. And also, just because you got it wrong, Hugo. Nice. 
Thank you. No Two worries. movies that were high up on my watch list that I missed. Yes. So, thank yep. you very much for that. No worries. So, what's next? All right, let's find out what we're going to be watching next week. Dean, why don't you hit that button and see what we're going to get? Ooh, it's a low number. And by low, I actually mean really high. Um, 214. 214. Let's have a look. <laughs> that laugh you heard was from Dean as we've just found La La Land. Oh, dear. Well, this is going to be fun. That's going to be... Dun, 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 dun. I'll stop. Save it for next week. Okay. I'll work on it. <laughs> so normally we would do the draft here for the theme of the of La La Land, but we're going to do it next week so that we, we keep in the theme throughout the whole podcast as well. Ra- rather than us going, now we're going to be doing the draft for La La Land during the middle of our Ben-Hur podcast. Mm. We'll skip ahead to next week for it. So in saying that, we have to pick a draft for next week in regards to La La Land, and obviously the the big one you could probably do is Best Musicals, but... We're sure that we'll have another musical down the track, but maybe. something special not, about that La, big of a deal. Something special about La La Land yeah. is obviously that controversy at the uh, Academy Awards where it was, you know, said that it won, and then nope. It was literally robbed of its literally best robbed. So why don't we go with our movie draft for movies that got robbed of Best Picture? Yes. All right, so we'll have a week to think about our picks. If you guys have a couple of movies that you think should fit the bill, give us a shout-out on Twitter and let us know what your thoughts are, and we'll give them a read-out on the next podcast. That's it. So we still want to do a draft, and considering this whole week has been a big theme of Avengers Infinity War throughout the week, we'll do a draft on, what do you reckon, Dean? MCU films? Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Obviously, with Infinity War, we'll... uh We'll go top MCU films. Sounds good. And we'll do that after we've done our review of Avengers Infinity War later on in the podcast to keep them together. But for now, we'll go to a break and another promo, this time from the We Watched a Thing podcast. And we'll be back on the other side of that break with our What Else We've Been Watching This Week. But for now, that's going to do it for Ben Hur. Rome is an affront of God. Rome is strangling my people and my country, the whole earth. The day Rome falls, there will be a shout of freedom such as the world has never heard before. Hey Topher, I was doing an etymology search because, well, who needs a reason? Turns out watch comes from the Proto-Germanic word watchen, meaning be awake. Interesting if true, Billy. So our podcast, We Watched a Thing, really just means we stayed awake for something. Uh, Yeah, or at least most of it. Well, having been awake is about all the credentials we can really lay claim to when it comes to talking about movies. Speak for yourself, I've got legit IMDB credit. Well, all the visual effects experience in the world doesn't change the fact that you found passengers so emotionally touching that you cried. Oh yeah, taste guidelines from the cameraman who likes Jedi more than Empire, really? Ewoks are the best. Are they? Yes. And if you, dear listener, feel there aren't enough semi-informed cinematic opinions in your life, then a weekly dose of We Watched a Thing is for you. We Watched a Thing. We stay awake in everything. Find us at wewatchedathing.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else good podcasts are found. Okay, so as always, we're now into the spoiler-free section of the podcast. So if you haven't seen the movies, never fear. We will not spoil them unless we stipulate otherwise. Yes, I did put out a tweet earlier on in the week that our discussion on Avengers Infinity War will contain a spoiler section. I will put that in the show notes, so when we do get to that point, you can jump on there and have a look at when we finish our spoiler-free discussion. Yeah. 
So, Dean, how many extra films did you see this week besides Ben-Hur? Two. <laughs> how many did you see? I saw six. Wow, really? And it, busy, busy. It was going to be seven, but I started watching a film today, but I had to go do other stuff, so I had to stop it. So you'll get that film next week. And I'm happy to say that all six of these films are, are recommendable. I wow. actually had six r- good films throughout this week, so I'm happy with that, how that ended up this week. It's good. But why don't we go with your number two film, since you told me that that is pretty, pretty, pretty bad. It's pretty, 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 pretty bad. bad. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's terrible. I saw Batman Ninja. Um, <laughs> as regular listeners would know, I'm quite a fan of Batman, so saw a new animated Batman movie and thought, yeah, I'll check this one out. And, well, this movie was boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, throwing Batman along with a bunch of his friends and foes in a feudal Japan setting does not make a good film, clearly. The animation feels off, and often the audio matches very poorly with the characters speaking. There's no attempt at any character development whatsoever. The humour is terrible and falls flat. It feels like this has been made for very young kids, but there's a few like violent scenes in it, so it really hasn't. It actually looks like Ninja Scroll from what I, from the images I've seen, just the way that it's animated and the and the look really? of it. Yeah. Well, I haven't you, seen nothing. I've only seen you a couple got of Ninja Scroll from Batman Ninja. I wonder how you made that leap. No, it's very impressive film knowledge you have there. Uh, but yeah, no. Nah, Shut this, the fuck up. <laughs> no, nah, this movie turns into a blatant ripoff of Power Rangers at the end. Would you believe it? And it's just it's laughably bad ending. Like it was, it was already pretty bad, and the ending just ugh, like I know it's a superhero cartoon, but. It made no sense at all. It made less sense, this ending, than the fact that they were able to transport everyone randomly to feudal Japan. For no reason, mind you, other than just to say Batman Ninja. And come to think of it, what sort of a title is Batman Ninja? What sort of title is DC Lego Flash? Legendary title, <laughs> obviously. We've already talked about this, Endo. Keep up. There's so many um, Batman movies, they got to start just putting Batman with something. Batman Ninja. Batman Space. Like, would you watch a Batman movie in space? Of course. <laughs> um, but nothing makes sense here. No one appears to be trying. It is a truly embarrassing addition to the animated DCU, which can be very, very, very good. So that's my rant on this terrible Batman movie. Over to you. Okay, well, luckily I didn't watch any films that were necessarily bad. But my number six film for the week is A Quiet Place. So for me, what this film... Okay, I'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) So what this film does well is it creates a a very nerve-wracking environment, slowly revealing the creature as it goes along and using good timing and lighting to maximum effect to give that horror vibe. The acting is pretty good. Is it a horror or a thriller? It's a horror. Really? Yeah, I would say it's a horror. So yeah, John Krasinski is pretty solid here, as is Emily Blunt. But I do think that the standout is Millicent Simmons, who plays their deaf daughter, who's actually deaf in real life as well. And I just recently watched her in Wonderstruck as well from uh, late last year, which I thought she was pretty good. I think I think she was actually probably the best part of that film. 
And she really works well with this film as well and gives us a pretty decent emotional performance. And I like how the ending was telegraphed to the audience if you're paying attention, but not in a way where the characters of the movie would know about it. Are you paying attention? However, while there are some good things about the film, I have some major gripes with it as well. I think that the premise of the film, the whole be silent and noise will attract the monster, is only really used when it's most convenient. Like, there's definitely times where noises are made and loud ones at that, and they just get ignored. I also thought there were several major plot holes throughout the film, like certain decisions that characters have made, even before the beginning of the film, and they seem kind of dumb, and again, only exist to serve the plot. I also think the film relies a bit too much on jump scares at time, and uses overbearing music jumps to put those into effect, which pissed me off. I also wish that the film relied a bit more on the quiet aspect and laid off at the score sometimes. And while the ending is not bad, the actual final shot of the film really frustrated me and was a complete 180 shift in tone and took away from the film. So there's some good stuff with this film. There's a lot of mistakes and questionable choices as well, though. I can go either way with this film. If you're a fan of horror and looking for a couple of scares, I'd say check it out. But if you skip this one, it wouldn't be the end of the world. The only reason I would watch that is because John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are in it. Yeah. Well, they're the big selling points of the film. uh, Yeah. they're, They're both very enjoyable. So my number five film I watched was a documentary called Andre the Giant. And this is obviously a documentary exploring the big man himself. Really? The documentary Andre the Giant is a documentary? Yeah. It's about his upbringing. Again, stellar (laughs) analysis. It's about his upbringing in France, his celebrated career in the WWE, and his forays into the entertainment world. Now, I am not a wrestling fan at all, but you'd have to be living under a rock to not know who Andre the Giant is. It was interesting to see his overall story, but in terms of documentaries, there was nothing that made this stand out from all the other generic documentaries that are out there. It's basically just interviews with family and friends mixed with small footage. It deviates a little bit in the middle for a section of how Hulk Hogan became big in the 80s with some sweet footage from Rocky III, but overall that felt a bit weird since I thought this was an Andre the Giant story. So if you're a wrestling fan, you'll bloody love it, but for me, I thought it was fine and you can take it or leave it. Fair enough. I will be leaving it. My number four film for the week is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Now, for anyone who doesn't know what Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is about, it's set in the Deep South in the 1930s, about three escaped convicts who search for hidden treasures while a relentless lawman pursues them, and on their journey they come across many comical characters and incredible situations. Now, this is based on a book called Homer's Odyssey, and I'm not a book person, so I have no idea of the references or similarities or anything like that to the book. But that wouldn't matter to me anyway, since I'm judging this on the movie that it is. And the Coens have once again given us a goofy, fun film with some witty dialogue, a catchy and knee-slapping soundtrack, and some likable main characters played great by George Clooney, John Turturro, and Tim Blake Nelson, as well as a couple of Coen brother regulars who make some appearances. It's not on the top-tier scale of like a No Country for Old Man, a Big Lebowski, or a Fargo, but it's still an enjoyable time and one to check out. We also have a couple of reviews here from Zeke Delfour at Smash My Squatch. Said, Oh Brother or Art Thou is one of the few movies you can be flipping through channels and just start watching it at any point of the movie. Soundtrack, acting, writing, directing, cinematography, it has no weaknesses. Now stay out of the Woolworth. You don't get that. You'll, you see the movie, you'll get it. We also have one here from Dreg of Craig's again at Dreg of Craig's, and they did a lyric to one of the songs from the movie. It's, uh, I am a man. Who likes this movie? I thought I'd sing it. Wow. I thought I'd do them the privilege of singing. <laughs> okay. So into my top three. 
And my number three is fresh. <sighs> so I had I typed up a review for this and then I accidentally clicked X and just got rid of it and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine doing that times thirty. Yeah. <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't know what fresh is about, it's basically death and violence, anger, a twelve year old drug courier who sets his employers against each other. So I thought this film was going to be just another random, grainy-looking 90s film, like a knockoff of Boys in the Hood, Dangerous Minds, or even Menace to Society. Have you seen Boys in the Hood? <laughs> I know you haven't. <laughs> but it looks like it. <laughs> you haven't seen it. Have you seen Dangerous Minds? Yeah. Have you? Yes. Sort of school. And it did start off that way for the first part of the film, but it quickly turned into more than that and started to form into this... Bizarre offspring of Akira Kurosawa's classic Yojimbo for me. Hmm, interesting. And, and I love the chess element to this film. If It might feel out of place compared to the rest of the film for some people, but I think it complemented it very well. The acting was pretty good too, and overall I thought it was a thoroughly enjoyable film. So thanks, Dean, for uh, picking that for me. I, I really enjoyed it. That's right. I'm glad you liked it. All right, so I've got two films left here. Now, I don't want to ruin the surprise of number one by saying my number two film, so I'm going to quickly mention my number one. This is for Dean, to not spoil it for him, but my number one film is a superhero movie. It's uh, very long. It's very well-known. A lot of people... It's... it's Everyone knows about this. What could it be? Play the music. It's Superman. No, it's not Avengers Infinity War. It's you got Superman. me. You got me. <laughs> I honestly thought I could have got you there. Because I didn't want to... I obviously no want... way you were going to set it up like that and it'd be Infinity War. Because everyone listening would be expecting Infinity War. The way you're talking is like, oh, it's this. It's, and okay, well, at least else. someone will. Yeah, so I watched the three-hour-long extended TV cut edition, not actually knowing what it was. I just saw it in three hours. I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, Dean. I've got to watch fucking three-and-a-half-hour Ben-Hur and a three-hour fucking Superman film. So kudos to me for watching another four other films oh, well along the way. Done. Thank you. And you can muster up a fucking extra Batman ninja. <laughs> Jeez. Hey, maybe if you win some of these bets, Way I'll, to commit to the I'll, cause. Watch, I'll watch some more movies. So anyway, this film was... Oh, this film was so fucking good. Isn't it? For a film from the 70s... It is so good. The effects hold up really well. Yeah, there's a couple of dodgy shots here and there, but you should expect that. But I had a blast watching this. The pacing was so well done. I never even felt the long run time. Mm. Christopher Reeves is fantastic in the lead role. Oh, yeah. He brings the charisma of Superman while also showing his dorky side with Clark Kent. Gene Hackman is hamming it up as Lex Luthor and loving it. Marlon Brando puts in a solid performance in the limited screen time he has. And that bloody score, man, you're hearing it right now. It pumps you up from the second you hear it. It's fantastic. This movie is a spectacle. I enjoyed it immensely. I'm interested in seeing the sequel, but for now, great choice, Dean. Thank you very much for that. That's okay. Gee, I'm, I'm actually regretting picking the movies I did now. Why? Because I would love to give you a Superman sequel. You're talking like you're never going to win a bet again. Yeah, you're going to pay for that little quote there. <laughs> quote, comment. <laughs> All right, so obviously my number two is Avengers Infinity War. Dean, your number one is Avengers Infinity War. So let's talk about it right now. The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, 
he can do it with the snap of his fingers. Just like that. Tell me his name again. Thanos. All right, so I've got a little bit of spoiler-free talk here. Dean, you just want to go straight into spoilers? Yeah, I'll, I'll wait for spoilers. Okay, so I'll just have a quick chat to anyone out there who hasn't seen it. Well, you can chat to me. No, I don't need to chat to you. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> this movie lived up to the hype. I thought with so many characters to squeeze in, there'd be no time to involve everyone. But the fact is that there was really no need to create character arcs, etc. for everyone here because we've already got all that from films leading up to this one. The only one we really needed was Thanos, and bloody hell did we get that. This is the Thanos show. His character is all over this film, and it's fantastic. He gets some great depth to him, complexities. See, the mark of a great villain is that you can sympathize with their plight. You can understand the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. You may not agree with them, but you understand. Killmonger just did that recently in Black Panther, and Thanos does it here, but he does it better. Thanos is the best villain in the MCU by far. The film has to divide the line between light-hearted humor, balls-to-the-wall action, and deep, dark storylines, and I feel it handles that pretty well. There were times I felt it started to dip, but overall, they pulled it off. What makes this a better film than a majority of the MCU films for me is that you can feel the stakes this time around. Every other film, you know they're going to survive, and the fights feel a bit meaningless. Here, you have no idea how it's going to go. Everyone is vulnerable, and that makes it much more exciting. What starts to lower this for me is that while most characters get their time to shine, I feel a couple of them got a little sidelined. In particular, Captain America gets underused. Black Widow and Winter Soldier do too, but whatever with those two. I also feel the relationship between Scarlet Witch and Vision takes up far too much time, and I don't really care for either of them, so that started to get annoying. And without spoiling anything, I feel the ending, while fucking crazy, kind of annoyed me, which we'll get into in spoilers, but overall, this is an awesome film that everyone has been anticipating for 10 years now, and I applaud the Russo brothers for yet another great installment into the MCU. If I had to rank it, I would probably put it at number 4, above Iron Man, but below Guardians of the Galaxy, Winter Soldier, and Civil War. Dean, you just want to go straight into spoilers? Yep. Okay, so we're going to go into spoilers on the other side of this trailer. So check the show notes for when we get out of it to hear our MCU fantasy draft for this week. Alright, Dean. Alright, spoilers. Just another spoiler warning. We don't want any hate mail on people spoiled by this. So, spoilers, spoiler, spoiler. Do not listen if you haven't seen it. Alright, they're gone. Okay, they're gone. Get out of here. Get out. (laughs) Why are you still here? (laughs) Was it Ferris Bueller? Yeah. (laughs) What'd you think, Dean? Yeah, I I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It was, uh, yeah, like when I was watching it, I was just so excited at every point. Like you said, like... The stakes are real here. You watch a movie like bloody Civil War where they're all fighting each other. Like yeah, that. and that's my only gripe with Civil you know, War. Iron Man's not going to kill Captain America. Yeah. Like, far out. They're just like, punching on it. Yeah, and it felt like just um, a play fight. Yeah, but as you say, the stakes are high and they, they kill off, you know, half half the Avengers, basically. Yeah. But, but, as I said to you once we left the cinema, the problem is they've already announced... A Spider-Man 2. Black Panther 2, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I saw James Gunn talking about it very recently. And I just feel like they didn't need to do that. They should have left all of that unchecked. They know that they're supposedly killing off these people at the end of this movie. Why have people openly talking about these movies existing? The next two movies that Marvel are bringing out are Ant-Man and the Wasp, which, from what I hear, takes place 
before the events of Infinity War, and Captain Marvel, which takes place in the 90s, which will obviously lead into the sequel, as yet unnamed, Infinity War 2. I don't think it's going to be called Infinity War 2. I think they're actually having a, a That's new... That's why I said as yet unnamed. You said Infinity War 2. You could just said unnamed. Which leads into unnamed. <laughs> Seriously? Um, Avengers anyway. 4. Avengers... Yeah. Yeah, so that... Yeah, that's what really annoyed me is that when it happened, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Look at the balls on these guys for killing off half the show. When, yeah. when Winter Soldier went down, I'm like, yes! Yeah. Yes, do it! Yeah. Take exactly. them all out. Exactly. And then when Black Panther went down, I'm like, oh. Yeah, when Black Panther went, I was I was like, eh, okay, and I then, don't think... But I could believe it. And then when Spider-Man went, I said, no, this isn't... I don't believe this. Yeah, and the thing, like, and Spider-Man was the best sort of... Oh, yeah. Like, that scene that where he's, very he's just like, what does he say? I don't want to go. He was scared. He was Yeah, there. like, you I can feel the fear and, like, you've you've built up. Like, you say there's no character arcs for most of these people, but I feel like with Iron Man, they at least built up that he wanted a kid yep. in the first scene. And then you got, you know, Peter Parker, who is, is it's his ward, it's his mentor, mentee. It's a kid he's mentoring and he's... When he comes to him, and he's caused this, you yeah. know? He's given him this suit. He's taken him into this superhero world, and you can feel the pain, you know? But to be fair, just go back and think, well, if he wasn't here, he probably would have gone anyway. With the click of the thumb, he was probably going to go. Yeah, maybe, but, I mean, obviously, yeah. What are you talking about? It's not what Tony's thinking. What do you think of Thor in the film? Because if it's not the Thanos show, it's the Thanos and Thor show. You think so? I thought Thor was the major Avenger in this film. He went everywhere. This was his show. It started straight off with him. He go, he meets everyone. He starts on the ship. Yeah, you're he right. goes to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. Uh, he doesn't get he doesn't see Iron Man. But then he, no. he takes off and he gets his hammer and then he's back down at Wakanda. Yeah, I've I mean I did like the Thor stuff. I think Thor is a fantastic character now. They've really perfected Since Ragnarok com- and he's got that comedic Ragnar- side. Yeah, they've perfected how much comedy this character should have. Yeah. And you know, all that like rabbit Oh, pulling, the rabbit. Yeah. Pulling, uh, this is this is my new friend. I call him Tree. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really funny shit in here. Yeah, like uh, um, goodbye morons, you know, yeah, like that stuff. That. And it, he plays it so well, Chris Hemsworth. I just, I did think that the um, forging of Stormbreaker was a bit, a bit slow. Um, yeah, but it did, it did, it did, it kept cutting between the the action sequence and that, and I and thought it was got t- this taking slow it out. Scene yeah. and like, oh, he's, you know, he's gonna take the full force of a star to make this thing. Again, that was a scene where there's no stakes. He's not he's not dying yeah. to try and make a weapon yeah. that virtually only he can wield. I did hear you burst out laughing, though, when he's like, it's going to kill you. He's like, only if I die. He's like, that's what I That's meant. what killing you is. Yeah. I heard you burst out yeah, well, laughing. Well, that, that, was, that was very funny. <laughs> um, and Peter Dinklage, you know, like, he's he's very good. Again, like, he was, he was okay. Yeah. Like, he had some good funny one-liners. But what about the return of uh, Red Skull? For me, that was almost the biggest shock of the movie. Yeah. Like, he's he's come from nowhere like he was in the first avenger like the first captain america movie yeah. and it's I, I mean i wonder if they're gonna ever explain that like how did he get there it makes uh, did you <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense and what does he do now you know he's there I to guard was, the soul stone i think he was now just the soul there, stone's gone i think he was just there to please like mcu diehards like oh red skulls in the yeah. movie yeah did you know that actually wasn't played by hugo weaving yeah, yeah i didn't re- i didn't realize that let's talk about the ending because i I want to try and talk about where this is setting up. And I've heard and read a couple of things, yep. opinions and that. There's obviously the fact that Doctor Strange went through all these like 14 million different scenarios yep. and he found one 
And at the start, he, he, he said to Iron Man, I will have no hesitation in you dying to, to protect the stone. Yet he gives the stone to Thanos to, pre- yep. to save um, Iron Man. That obviously means that in this scenario, this one scenario, Tony Stark has to live. And that's why, that's why he, he saves him. Because in the scenario where they, all, where they all survive, Tony has to live. Oh, is that what you got from it? Yes. I got from it that, like, you're sort of saying, like, he didn't know what was coming. And he's like, well, Tony's got to live, so I've got to give it to him. I sort of got from it that um, he knew everything. He knew that this was all happening. And he knew it wasn't like, oh, shit, Tony's about to die. I need to give him the stone because he can't die. It was more just these are the events that need to take place. Yeah, that's that's just a little bit more of a different For this to work. And I think I'm not sure if in retrospect I quite liked that I've seen 14 million ways and there's one way we can do it. So you sort of like, again, it takes the stakes away where it's just like, yeah, he says we're in the end game now, and then he fades away. It's just like, well, you know that he's gonna come back, and he's gonna be a pivotal to to fixing it. So, so what do you think about a theory where the Avengers that disappeared went off to another time plane? Yep. Or those those characters didn't die, but the people that stayed were the ones that died. A la leftovers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did get a massive leftover. One life one from thing it. I did see. I thought was a really good idea was that the all the original Avengers survived. Survived. Yep. yep. Now, what do you think about something like they, based off the time stone, something like that, they end up traveling back to the original Avengers and they use the, the portal that opens up there when Iron Man's in space to, tr- to defeat Thanos before any of this even happens. Because there have been reports that in the next Avengers film, there are, there are scenes where they're in their old uniforms, like they have gone back in time. Really? Yeah. No, I... What do I think about that? I mean, yeah, it could be good. Because it would... It would make sense why all the old ones only are left. Yeah, that's that's what we noticed when we But wouldn't we that be a bit, a bit too cute, though? Like, you know, he's obviously snapped his fingers and half the population of the universe dies. It's not like he chooses which half. Do you think he gave him the actual time stone? Yes. Oh, yep, for okay. sure. Yep, cool. For okay. sure. I, I think if he hadn't, he wouldn't have been able to snap his fingers. There's also the... There's a the theory that they've gone to that plane where you see him wake up once he gets the soul stone. You also see him go back there and see Gamora after he snaps his his fingers. Now, there's a theory that these lives that have gone have actually gone into the soul stone and that the soul stone collects souls, mm-hmm. if you will. So, I thought I think that's a possibility, a possibility they could go with. Yeah, I just... I can see... A couple of days later after seeing it, there's all these different theories that you can think about and you're going to have to wait another year for it and see how Captain Marvel uh, heads into it. There's also another theory I heard that Ant-Man is going to finish with like Hank Pym get disappearing and, that's, and that sets him up into the second half of the Avengers. He comes in at that point. Don't you see that happening? Hank Pym? Yeah, Michael Douglas. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you... Okay. Dis- well, I don't understand. So you're saying that at the end, Michael like, Douglas's at- Ant-Man come into it? That at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp... Oh, okay, okay. Hank Pym... Disappears, okay. To line Ant-Man's up with... Brought yep, into yep, it. yep, yep, yep. Okay, I get that. Um, Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. That yeah. would be a fantastic end for that movie. Yeah, it would bring it right... Like, it would tie it straight into what's happening. Yeah, I, it would be very good. And it would it would clearly... Like, obviously, they're going to say somehow that it's... They're going to timestamp it somehow so that viewers know it's before Infinity War. Yeah. And if it does end like that, I feel like that is a really um good way to, to bring him into it. What do you think about the little Nick Fury cameo at the end? Yeah, fantastic. Oh, let's talk about... We went to see it, and we were fully expecting a, a mid credit sequence to, to come, 
and it teased it like it, the music finished <laughs> and then the lights came on and the credits, yeah. credits started coming up. It was very like, odd. Are you fucking kidding me? And we're like, no, no, no it's got to be the end. And people started leaving. Well, yeah, I don't get it. You sit through almost like you add in ads and trailers at the start. We're basically there for three hours. And you can't even hang around for five more minutes. Oh, it's crazy. Like, can you imagine them like kicking themselves? They get home and a couple of days later, they look on YouTube like, Avengers Infinity War, final scene. They're like, what? They, they must know. They must know. I mean, that's... What did maybe, you, maybe it was their second time there. Yeah. What but even still... What do you think of Star-Lord this time around? I mean, he, he was fine. He was, he, I thought he was exactly the same as in the other ones. What did you think about the scene where he, you know, basically ruins their chance of Well, he did that in Guardians with. of the Galaxy 2. So you're fine with it? Well, he hasn't learnt. And I, I didn't like it. I just thought the stakes... I the, think that's part of his character. He's, stakes of the universe are there, and he, he prevents them from fooling the gauntlet off. He just did it in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. He's reckless... I think it was part of his character. I wasn't a fan. I actually wasn't a fan of Chris Pratt much at all in this movie, yeah. to be honest. I don't know. He felt really out of place. Um, I've seen a lot of complaints about Drax um, after this movie. I, I loved him in this. Yeah, I thought he, was, you have he served a, his a, purpose. a big, dumb character who's genuinely funny. And yeah. the humour here is on point. Yeah, like, yeah. It, is, it is very, very funny. Even though it is obviously married with the um, darkness of Thanos and what he's trying to accomplish. But, yeah, I just... I don't know. It didn't... Yeah. I did like Drax, though. Yeah, okay. What, what was your favourite part of the movie? While you think about that, I'll tell you mine. I think the part that had the most impact on me is when Scarlet Witch... As you say, we've spent a lot of time with her, so we did build this relationship more, which um, I think you said it was a negative for you. I did I did like seeing more of them. I, I like those characters. Um, Elizabeth Olsen, I think, is pretty fantastic. And... When she's she's trying to keep off Thanos, he just destroys, you know, whole Captain America. He's just swatting them away like flies almost. He gets finally gets down to um, Scarlet Witch and she's able to, just in time, destroy the, the Mind Stone, his final stone that he doesn't have. And you think, wow, like, genuinely, I was like, holy shit, like, done. That's, that's it. He can't get the gauntlet. That would make sense. Like, how do they fight this guy with the gauntlet? You know, like, I didn't think they were going to go down the path where they kill every half of everyone in the universe. And then he's just, he's just, you know, like... Just reverses time. Just, yeah. He just pulls like it. That. And you're like, oh, of course. And just he's got the time It's insane. I love that bit. He's, I mean, you spoke about Thanos in your spoiler-free thing. I haven't spoken about him here. He is incredible. He, he stars, he shines, he carries this movie with, you know, so many other characters who star in their own rights and he just he, he just steals every scene he's in the emotion you get from him i'm not sure if it's because josh Brolin's performance is so good or it's just the material he was given is so touching but especially when he's got a um sacrifice gamora to get the soul stone like you believe like this tyrant this you know this person who commits genocide regularly and doesn't blink an eye for him to care about Gamora. You actually believe it, and they set it up. And when he calls her, what does he call a little one? I think he calls her little one. And it really, yeah, it 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 hit home for me. I really did. Um, I did love it. I love that he didn't die in this movie. Obviously, they teased it when another great bit right after he turned back time, where Thorn comes down, he stabs him in the chest. You're like, holy shit! Are they gonna are they gonna kill him? Like really? He's like, you should have aimed for the head. Like, yeah. holy shit! I would have to say the bit after that, like that, even though it it annoyed, it annoyed me afterwards because you know it, it's probably going to get undercut. 
but the the emotion that you get there from all those Avengers getting wiped out and oh. Thanos just sitting there smiling and it just end. I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the ending, I loved it. The ending is so good. Yeah. Did you know that they did a couple little tricks in the trailer as well? Yeah, because I, I was thinking about this fucking Hulk never showing up yeah. except for the first scene. And yeah, I saw this picture of him charging in with them. Yeah. I'm like, eh, he wasn't there. There was also certain parts of the trailer like when... Captain America is holding back his gauntlet when Thanos yeah. put him down. They only have he only has two oh, stones. Oh yeah, of yeah. course. So of course. it doesn't ruin it. Like oh, he's on, obviously gone and collected everything else. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was good. good there. They're not ah, silly. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, that'll do it. Very good. I enjoyed that. We also got a couple of reviews here for Avengers: Infinity War from a couple of followers here. We have one from our friend Brothers, a mad scientist at a mad scientist said, "Absolute blast." Lots of fun team-ups and character interactions. Brolin is fantastic as Thanos, menacing and empathetic. The Black Order could have been fleshed out a bit more. The emotional beats just hit you. A monumental cinematic effort bringing 10 years of films together. Thanks for that, brothers. Also from I Seen That at I Seen That Pod, it was a disappointment. Everything that happened at the end feels like they are going to find a way to undo it, and the impact of that makes it feel very low. All I kept thinking was Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Spider-Man Homecoming 2, and Black Panther 2 have all been announced. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. We've also got one from Movies with the Misses at MWTM Podcast. Watched it last night. A few pacing issues mostly made up in character interactions. A few standout performances. Brawl and Pratt, Hemsworth and Cumberbatch. Chris Evans and ScarJo were terribly underused. Still very enjoyable. So thanks for those. All right, so let's get into... DVD Challenge accepted. And for this week's draft, we are going to do Best MCU Films. All right, Dean, if you're ready, we'll cue the music. And it's my turn this week to go first. And my first pick is going to be my favorite film of the MCU. And that's Captain America Civil War. Okay. I will take Infinity War and The Winter Soldier. Not bad, not bad. Okay, I'm going to go with Guardians of the Galaxy. And which, which one? Number one. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and I'm gonna take Black Panther. Black Panther. Okay, I'll take I'll take Ant Man and Thor Ragnarok. All right, and I'm gonna finish up my list with the original Avengers. I feel like whichever one I take, you're gonna take the other here. Oh, it's a toss up between two here. Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'll go Iron Man. Okay. One more for you, Dean. I just you've thrown me with. Uh, it's between two. I was thinking Iron Man. What's the other one? For the last one, I'll take Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, that was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. Cool. All right. So there's our list. We'll put that poll up some point during the week and everyone get out there and vote for Team Daniel because that's obviously the best one this go around. You have talked so much shit this podcast. <laughs> I think everyone listening <laughs> knows obviously you're still doing it and to vote for Team Dean. All right. That's going to do it for this week. Dean, what are, you, what are your plans for next week? You gonna Any specific movies you're going to check out? Uh, I'll watch all the movies you've given me from all the lost... Ba- oh, wait, no. That's right. I didn't lose any. Um, you can talk a big fucking game when, you're not, when, when, you're not, when I'm not giving your buddy three movies a fucking de- a week, am I? <laughs> uh, nah, I don't think so. Might watch a couple others. We'll see how I go. What about you? Well, oh, you got, you got a few to watch, don't you? I've got Black Swan and Hugo. Obviously, I'm going to check out La La Land again. Uh, I'm going to try and get out and see Isle of Dogs. I've been hanging to see that. And if I get the opportunity, there's a couple of foreign films that uh, got nominated for Best Foreign Feature. I might try and see Loveless and maybe The Insult. That's probably going to do it there. Maybe if I'm in the mood, I might check out another Coen Brothers film. I'm enjoying those so far. But yeah, 
Not a lot. <laughs> Just a quiet one then for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And Thank we'll you. be back next week for La La Land. Don't sing that, please. No, 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 no. Bye. Bye. Bye.